eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Coming strong with another edition of Longhorn Blitz with Horns 24-7. I am Jeff Howe. Before we get into this week's proceedings, wherever you're listening, however you're listening, thank you so much for being a part of this podcast and supporting everything we've got going on at Longhorn Blitz. If it was not for you, the listener, we would not have a show. The show would not be running as long as it has, so thank you so much. A couple of different ways you can get the podcast. You get it at Horns247.com, but the best way to get it is anywhere you get your podcasts. Just search Horns247. That's Horns247, no dashes, slashes, or spaces. Click that follow button whenever you see the Longhorn Blitz podcast. Whenever you see the Horns247, excuse me, podcast app, click that follow button. Get every episode of Longhorn Blitz whenever it drops, and if you'd be so kind, please leave us a five-star review. All right, let me bring in the rest of the team. He is the master of the soundboard, the drop machine extraordinaire, our lead research analyst, and a daily fantasy guru. He is Matt Butler. How are you, sir? Doing pretty good. How about you? Not too shabby. And the third member of our team, uh, I'm sure he's had better weeks, but nevertheless, he is here. He wears many hats. He's as busy as can be right now. But for the purposes of this podcast, he is our lockdown corner here on Longhorn Blitz. Lifetime Longhorn, 2002 UT All-American, 2002 semifinalist for the Jim Thorpe Award. Fourth round draft choice of the New York Giants back in 2003. Spent his NFL career with the Giants, Lions, Bears, Bucks, Broncos, and a year with the Hamilton Tiger Cats of the CFL. When he was done with football, he got himself back to Austin, Texas, and the 40 Acres, where he earned his degree whenever that T-ring comes back in. We will make sure he wears it proudly. Nevertheless, he is a card, a caring member of DBU. And when you get that All-American honor recognized by the NCAA, they make sure you get one of those black cards. Number 21 your program number one in your hearts mr rod babers thank you for the intro brother it gets uh better and better every time so uh appreciate all the well wishes to a lot of people that hit me up and gave me well wishes because they knew i was having a uh, wisdom teeth removal surgery and had that on monday and basically you know it got past it and now i'm feeling good i think i turned the corner yesterday for nice nice yeah so that's why we didn't record normally on tuesday and rod said wednesday but i was like you know what let's go ahead and just give it the extra day and just go on Thursday. So everybody yep. that's listening to this podcast Friday morning, that's why the Blitz is a little late this week. But, hey, better late than never. And uh, at least you're getting your Blitz fix at the end of the week. Nice way to go into the weekend is uh, with the Longhorn Blitz podcast. Rod, I want to start bringing up something that you've always talked about that uh, I've it's kind of just been in the back of my mind. I wouldn't say it's been top of mind for me. But thinking about it, I'm always cognizant now just the, the future of football in the state of Texas as it relates to college football. And with Texas now going to the SEC, 
joining Texas A&M. I was just looking at the, you know, with National Signing Day on Wednesday, and there wasn't a lot of activity, but just kind of the class, get the, the cycle winding up from a high school recruiting standpoint. I was looking at, you know, our top 247 rankings at 24-7 sports, and, uh, you know, there's 40 blue-chip guys in the state of Texas that are in that top 247. There's 40 of those guys in state, and you've got 33 of them that are going to either Big Ten or SEC schools are just somewhere other than the Big 12. You only got seven of those guys, Rod, going to Big 12 schools. Texas Tech has four of them. And we won't talk a ton of Big 12 once we get into football season and especially as we get more familiar with the SEC opponents. But, Rod, I don't know, you're you're a guy that, you know, you played – high school football in the state you played college football in the state for the flagship program you you always had you've always been on the lookout for football in the state of texas because that's kind of been the identity of the big 12 but it was already struggling you know the big 12 schools were recruiting now without texas and oklahoma it is is slim pickings for the big 12 to get top talent in the state of texas to stay within that conference and that's the lifeblood of the Big 12, right? That's the yep. lifeblood of the Big 12 is the talent in the state of Texas that all of the different schools can recruit uh, in the state, either in out of the state, right? Iowa State, K-State, they can come in and recruit Texas players too because they play so many Texas schools. And it's one of those things where, yeah, now with Texas, in Texas A&M, I, I'll give a probably led the way first, um, but with the, the, the departure of Texas A&M, the departure of Texas, uh, I'm with you. I, I think I can, you, you'll see that trend Unfortunately, it'll continue and it'll actually even get worse and worse because fewer of the best players in the state will go to schools in the Big 12 just because the two biggest universities, the two biggest football programs in that state are now in the SEC. And because of that, the SEC influence now is just, um, it's undeniable in the state. The state of Texas is an SEC state now, which is crazy to think, but that's what it is. And that's why a lot of those kids now are going to go to to SEC schools or they'll probably just go to Texas or Texas A&M. Yep, and that's where, like, back in the day whenever you had Mac take over the Texas program and all just throughout the Big 12 area, you know, like Mac's big motto at the beginning was, you know, basically fencing in Texas and not letting the way the 90s happened where you started to have prior to, say, the Big 12, some of the bigger national schools being able to come down to Texas and pluck out some of the big players like back in the day with Notre Dame or like Colorado or, you know, some of the other schools that did have, say, a national brand, but prior to social media. But then once the Big 12 came around and you had, say, some power shift to schools like Texas and then you had already had the Aggies be you know pretty strong in the beginning of the Big 12 era so you really saw the Big 12 focus on the state of Texas and really sort of put a fence around it you didn't have nearly as much but over the past say decade or two you've seen slowly trickle out and now it almost feels the way it felt prior to the big 12 era where it is a national, you know, state where you have schools from all over being able to come over. And now with the way the big 12 looks going forward, something that they probably are going to be very afraid of is not having that footprint that really did fuel all of the top players that were able to get you on, you know, midday or late night, Saturday night football for the primetime games. And everybody knows the amount of talent that's there. So that's something that they really can't, focus or really can't survive losing yeah the yeah. thing is sark has admitted they're gonna start 
obviously you can see it start recruiting SEC country more. Yeah. So they're recruiting more of the SEC country, and the players in the state are going to be leaving more to go to the SEC. It's just weird how it all works out. But the days of someone having a stranglehold on the state of Texas are done. Those yeah. Jack Brown ruled the Iron Throne for for ten years, and nobody's ever going to do that again. Even with Sark, the the if Sark has ultimate success, wins a national title, he he doesn't want to dominate the state of Texas like that. He's you don't need to nowadays. I, yeah, he's admitted. I want to. I, I mean, it's a national recruiting. That's why I built my coaching staff the way it is. West Coast ties, East Coast ties. You know, I I can recruit all over the best football regions in the country because you got coaches with ties there and connections to Louisiana, like you know Terry Joseph. So I think that's the way he built the staff. That's how he thinks. He's not a Texas. You know, you know, I don't think he's Texas centric. I think he understands you got you're going to get the you're trying to get the top players in the state. But he also, from the way they've been recruiting lately in places like Florida and Louisiana and trying to get some guys out of Georgia, I think that's going to ultimately be the the future of the of roster construction. It'll be still Texas players. It's the University of Texas, but more and more of an out, outside the state influence. Yeah, you're yeah. afforded the luxury too, because like, you know, like I remember back in the 80s when you watch, say, something like the Pony Excess uh, documentary and they talk about, you know, I had a jet and he was just flying from one Texas high school to another Texas high school back in the day, Coach Meyer was. But like nowadays where you have these schools that have these unlimited budgets and you can fly all over the country and you can actually hit those hotbeds of all those big cities and go from Atlanta to Louisiana to Texas and be able to cover that much space and not be a problem yeah it, it's interesting you know looking at the blue chip guys in the texas class and i'm just looking at our our top 247 at 24 7 sports uh you know texas had nine nine of those guys nine top 247 guys five of those guys are out of state guys you only have four of those guys from the state of texas wow. and, and it, it, it's spread out i mean you got ryan wingo from missouri uh aaron butler and brandon baker from california uh, you got uh, Jarrett Gibson from Florida. You got Wardell Mack from Louisiana. So, I mean, really between the staff's ties, uh, you know, and the SEC footprint, I mean, really, it, this is, Rod, what I've always thought Texas could be, and I felt like Charlie Strong went too far in that direction to try to recruit Texas as a national brand. But at this point, like, Texas is, Texas is closer to kind of what Ohio State in Georgia do where yeah there's there's talent in your backyard no question but you've got the reach now the resources and the ability to man if, if you decide there's hey the state doesn't really have top end edge rushers but there's some we could go get in Southern California then we're gonna go out there or you know if there's a an offensive guard in the state of you know Mississippi that you know isn't is better than what we got in Texas we're gonna get that guy I just I just like the way Sark is doing it. Sark is doing what I thought Matt could have done post national championship, which would really make Texas a national brand. It's just you're just now seeing what it looks like with with, with Sark doing it. Yeah, no, I agree with that, and I think it just helps the modern era of college football helps too, right? You got you know there's more flexibility now for players, more empowerment for players. Uh, you know, that wasn't always the case. I think, you know, that helps you in terms of your nationalized recruiting um, NIL. Let's not act like NIL doesn't mm -hmm. play a huge role here. All right. Texas is one of the leaders in that space in the country. So uh, some players, that's not the only motivation, but uh, trust me, it is a, it's a really good incentive. So I, I think the social media helps. There's just a lot of things that now it kind of, it, it, it's, it's aiding 
this mentality and approach by Sark, like you said, what you thought Matt could have done. And even Max, Mac wanted to, I think he wanted to to dabble outside the state. He did not, he 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 had so much um so much emphasis and so much investment in the state. You talk about winning the state titles, that kind of stuff. I think Mac based the first thing he wanted to do, like like Matt just said, was try to build a wall around the state, see if he could. And the truth is he did. Yeah. So he was mm-hmm. a, and he was the last one to do it. Nobody's ever gonna do it again. So actually Mac succeeded. You know what I mean? And he he built a wall around the state. It just it can't last. It wasn't gonna mm-hmm. last. The I would say the approach that um you know that Sark has now, I think maybe it may be a little bit more sustainable because you can supplement it's also the transfer portal helps you supplement, right? When there's a when there's a weak class of something in the state, which there often is, or they're just a a, a weakness, a weak position in the state all the time, which hell in Texas may be, maybe, you know, there's some people that think like offensive linemen in Texas that they're under trained and under coached sometimes because of the spread offense and the proliferation of the spread offenses, whatever it may be, you can go outside the state to supplement, you know, the talent at that position. Yeah. You don't have to necessarily be victim to whatever the state produces. Yeah, and I mean, that's where you can see the large humans and getting in SEC country. That aligns perfectly. That's where you find those. And like talking about the way that Sarks is sort of building these classes, it sort of reminds me of the way like the last 15 years Oklahoma did. Oklahoma was a little bit more West Coast centric, but, you know, they had their fingerlings into Texas and we could always get them top players in Texas, but they didn't just allocate all the resources there. It seemed like they were recruited nationally when Texas say wasn't at a time and they were able to have a lot of success in plucking guys. But this with Sark seems to be all encompassing because not only is it SEC country, but he has the roots out West. So it's just, it's exactly what you want. If you're a school like Texas and want to take advantage of all your resources. I'll, I'll actually give uh the Tom Herman staff credit because I felt like, you know, like I said, Ch- Charlie strong, that staff tried to recruit out of state and, and, and they got their share of out of state guys. It just, the program was a mess at the time. It just felt disjointed. You know, Tom Herman had a plan and, you know, recruited guys. They went to Cal, they went to Southern California, you know, they went to Arizona. Uh, but I think with Sart, it's just like you, you use the term, Matt, it's all encompassing. We talked about it last week. I mean, with Johnny Nansen, you know, and having a guy that can relate to the the, you know, the Polynesian players, uh, you know, PK in the Pacific Northwest and in Southern California, you've got Jeff Banks is recruited all over the place. I think now to me, uh, you know, Rod, kind of like I've, I've looked lately in the last decade at Houston being one of those battlegrounds where it's really like, I don't think anybody has an advantage. It's just a freaking free for all. I think even more so now with the SEC footprint expanding, I think you're going to see greater New Orleans become more of a battleground rather than just guys funneling, you know, the high school just funneling guys to LSU. And we talked about it last week too. I think greater Atlanta, that greater Atlanta metro area is going to become more of a battleground than it already is with Texas getting into there because that's why you had to shard choice on staff. That's why you hired Kenny Baker. So I, I just – I used to be of the point, and maybe that's just because I grew up where Mac was dominating the state, that you got to take care of your backyard, got to make sure you're getting it done in state. But, man, at this point, dude, if you build a national championship roster, it doesn't really matter how you build it. Just just build it. Just get you guys that you feel like, hey, man, if, if we trust ourselves as a developmental program, three, four, five years from now, this guy's going to be playing on Sundays. 
that at the end of the day, that's all that matters. And if you, we know there's, there's politics in the state of Texas, you know, you know you've got to make sure you're in good with the THSCA because it's a massive, it's got the, that group has a massive presence in the state, man, as long as you're just not an abrasive a-hole and, and you embrace them <laughs> and, 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 and you have an open door policy, man, you're going to be fine. And I think Sark so far has done a lot of good things. He's pushed a lot of the right buttons as far as that goes. Yep. I totally agree. Um, and like I said, it's, you know, all the reasons that you just gave too, but it's just, it's a more sustainable model over a longer period of time. And that does also, that also tracks with Sark's, his vision for the program, right? He's talking about mm-hmm. building this thing for a long time. He, yeah. he was just talking about his upset, borderline obsession with winning a national title. And then he wants another one, right? He's talking about, he the way he's describing the job and the way that he built it, saying he had to have the five and seven season was necessary. Cause I had to build it the right way. I could have probably, you know, pulled out three or four more wins like Robbie was asking for, but he's like, no, 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 that was necessary. He wanted to build it the right way for sustainability. And yeah. I think that's what he's doing. That's his vision. Now, will it happen? Uh, you know, I don't know. But right now he's on a really good track and I, I, I agree with the vision. It, it aligns with kind of everything that he's talking about. And now the, the roster construction too. the naming, you know, Brandon Harris as a general manager, right? It's yeah. He, he's, he's changing the recruiting department now as the landscape of college football changes. He understands talent acquisition now. It's all about talent acquisition. It's not no longer just recruiting and no longer just transfer portal and the grad transfers. What about my guys that are also leaving the roster? That's a lot to keep up with. Be a general manager, right? Like yeah. Elaine Kiffin and like uh, Chip Kelly and them have at UCLA. So I just, I, I just think he's so current and he's progressive and he makes sure that he is evolving. And, you know, that's, you know, to me, that's, that's football theory. Right. You just got to you want to keep evolving. You're a student of the game and you're constantly learning from it and you're learning about it. And Sark does reflect that. He reflects that kind of coach. Sometimes yep, in the way that he's building it, it's reminded me. Sorry, Jeff. I just want to squeeze this in real quick. Like the way that Saban built it at Alabama and having that first year when he struggled and lost to Louisiana Monroe, but understanding that foundational aspect and him seeing va- the vacation of the, you know, top of the SEC and you have Alabama maybe struggling for the first time, who knows where they'll be for a year or two. Like you have to capitalize on that right now. And like, we've seen that the relationships in recruiting even matter, like Texas getting players like Isaiah bond or Matthew golden. Those are kids that he recruited and knows that like in today's world, you might not get them all to come to you, but if you get that relationship before they go off to school, maybe when they hit the portal, they're going to remember the foundation or like in Texas got Quinn because, you know, he's a guy that loved Texas, but there were those relationships before or the way that Texas is a huge state. Somebody may go out of state, but they may want to come back home like A.D. Mitchell or Makuba with the way that he has relationships with kids here in the state. So even though you maybe don't get them all, you form these relationships when you're recruiting them in while they're in the infancy of their college career or prior to it, because you never know how much more that's going to be valued later on in their college career that they could end up coming to you. You're still able to recruit these kids. It isn't just for National Signing Day and then it's over. Couple things there. One, the more I hear Sark talk, you guys ever just selfishly think like, man, Sark probably listening to the Blitz and just taking notes and be like, you know what? That's that's kind of what I'm thinking. Because man, a lot of stuff he, t- he talks about in that press conference on Wednesday, that was the bulk of our show last week. I'm just sitting there like, man, yeah, it's, it we was just got done talking point. about all this. Yeah, that's a good point. 
Yeah. yeah. I, think, I, I like to think we're current too. Like I and the whole point maybe we're just like minded. Is you they gather enough information about the game so that you can now start to predict the next evolution of it. And yeah. and and as a coach, where you need to to steer a program as a player, where you need to steer your game, that's the point. And this this show is about that. And that's why I think we at times can almost skip ahead a step sometimes and then we look back and go actually we were just talking about that i'm glad coach either addressed it or it was a concern on his 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 mind too because like you said matt you know like-minded yeah and the other thing i was thinking too there is both you guys were talking uh i've heard some of my colleagues at 24 7 say this and i agree with it wholeheartedly you know the the reason why high there's high school recruiting is so critical for two reasons. One, obviously, if you're doing it the right way, you're building a roster the right way, you want your foundation to be guys that you recruited. And it's no different than like it's really weird. Everybody's like making the college to pro comparisons. Now, if you're if you're a college, if you're a college football coach building a roster, you know, your best rosters in the NFL are rosters you build where ideally you do it through the draft, right? You want to have your base be guys that you scouted, evaluated, and recruited out of high school. But what I was getting to that, you know, my guys at 24-7 have talked about, and I totally agree with it, finishing second in a recruitment has never been more important than it is now. It actually yeah. matters now. Because whenever that guy gets ready to hit the portal, if you still got a place for him, he's like, man, I like coach so-and-so. You know, I really had a connection with Sark. I'm, I'm, I'm Matt. You talked about it going back home. I think it's just building relationships. Like, man, I really yeah, like. Oh. I wonder if they got a place for me at Texas. Great point, bro. I honestly, that you just nailed it. That has never been more important. That's why you recruit to the whistle now, right? Yeah. You recruit to the end. Even if you don't get them, mm-hmm. it's like, all right, I plant that seed. Uh, it'll, it'll come up again. That's a great man. That's money. I like that. That's money. <laughs> I did. It reminds me of just like whenever you'd be trying to hit on a chick or talk to somebody. Like you never want it to end the wrong way. You never know how things are gonna go. So you always want to be the best presentable version of yourself especially if you're going out and trying to be like, yep, yeah, well, there's always going to be a home here if you need it. And, you know, it's a way to be a good friend. It's all the same things that you want to be if you actually are genuine and transparent with your relationships. And that's actually, you know, something that we've talked about. Sark seemed to be since day one in his introductory press conference. He's so transparent. And I really think that does hit home and a lot of players can see through a lot of the BS that because you know a lot of coaches are full of BS out there and when you meet a guy that you actually like man I like this dude he's honest and so does my mom I was like yeah that might stick with him I think in a weird way the portal you know people say the portal is teaching kids to quit I actually think it's teaching kids some life lessons because it's almost like being out in the workforce right like you don't ever want to leave a job I mean, that's that's kind of just the, the cardinal rule, right? You don't want to leave a job where you just go scorched earth on the way out because, no. man, you you might need that job again at some point. You know, they, you, might, they, you might want them to hire you back. Totally agree. Yeah, yeah you're right about that. This that's show something. wouldn't be here if we didn't live our life that way. <laughs> yep. Put money on it. Yeah. Thank you, Matt, for, for bringing that up every now and then because it's – I don't know why, but I just I find it funny. I just get tickled every time you bring that up. Uh, it's full circle now. They're all the way back there too. It's crazy. Yeah, yeah I know, right? Isn't that wild? Yeah, that's yeah. crazy. <laughs> man, Rod, you you said it years ago, and man, after some real world experiences, I believe it. Not now, I'm just like f it. Like 
the Austin media market in terms of guys that cover Texas, whether it's website, radio, whatever, it's so incestuous. I mean, we've all worked for, Yep. you can play. I mean, like, yeah, Rod, I know you're on that on Texas YouTube channel. You want to play Mm -hmm. six degrees of Bobby Burton. You can, because damn near everybody, everybody's either worked for Bobby or been affiliated with him. I mean, whether it's, you know, Jeff Ketchum or whoever it's uh, yeah, it's, you just, the, the web is the web is weaved a lot uh, closer, a lot more intricately than people might think if you really start thinking about it's it. A, but it's a it really is. It's a big it's a it's a little big city. It is, yeah. man. It is. Yep. It, especially in this industry. You're right. It's six degrees. John Madani's like that in radio. Yeah, he's one of those kind of godfathers of it. You're right. Yeah, I mean, the Craig Way is a godfather. Craig yeah, Wade. but it, yep. it's absurd whenever you think about it. But like. It's almost all the same people that I worked with 15 years ago are all almost working at same or different spots. But you say the names and it just maybe a title changes here or there. Yeah, no, you're right. Yeah, because because John John's like, well, when I was at the Horn, John was like, well, yeah, I mean, I hired you know I hired Jeff initially, and I hired Rod, I hired Chad, I hired Kevin. I'm like, damn, is there anybody in this building you didn't hire? No, it's not. He got a great eye for talent, man. He just the man had a great eye for talent. He really did. Uh, Still does, I man. Yeah. And uh and Sark has a really good eye for talent. Uh, you know, he was talking about some position groups and can we, oh, look, oh man, I was trying kind of avoid trying to avoid bringing this up because it just it really guys it makes my head hurt. Um <laughs> Sark got asked during the press conference if the quarterback job was gonna be open in the spring, and he said no, Quinn is our guy. And everybody had to run and get their stories ready. I mean, I probably missed some views, which could cost me a bonus at the end of the month. Man, I don't care. I'm, I'm not going to write another Sark says Quinn is the guy because it's understood, man. And I realize, you know, anytime you write something about Arch Manning, it's money. But I'm not – I, re- Rod, I refuse to play this game. I refuse to be a part – I refuse to be a part of this dog and pony show. Like, I cover this program. I'd like to think I'm pretty close to it. I know what's going on. I know Quinn is the guy. Arch is going to continue developing. And I think it's almost it's almost insulting that people would assume the Manning family, of all the families, would make a decision to where, yeah, oh, let's get him out of there, transfer. Like, it was a very calculated decision. Like, they looked at every possible scenario before Arch committed to Texas. Like, it, I, I don't know. I'm just... I'm almost flabbergasted and I'm I'm I am flabbergasted and I'm I'm to the point of just being outright frustrated that Sark still has to get these questions. It's not that I'm defending Sark. I'm just like the people my colleagues, some of y'all and some of y'all in Gen Pop, y'all cannot be that dense, but I guess I'm wrong. Uh no, I think it is. I agree with you 100 percent If I go devil's mm-hmm. advocate, I just think it's for the national media they cannot necessarily wrap their heads around or fathom a Manning sitting for two years behind one quarterback, Quinn Ewers, even though that's exactly what is going to happen. Uh, yeah. And they can't, they can't, they, they won't, they can't fathom it for some reason. So I'm with you. I think it's, it's frustrating, but we locally know that this is not an issue. This is not a conversation. I will say this though, the likelihood of Arch Manning playing is really high next year at one point yeah. because we know Oftentimes, um, the the backup quarterback for Texas, you know, ends up playing whether because of injury or whether because of productivity. You know, that is the case. What seventy percent of the time, very rarely does a quarterback start and finish every game. That is actually going to be the challenge for Quinn this year. And if those scouts want to see him start 
and finish every game. Something he hasn't yeah. done in like the last four years. So that's something that he's got to deal with. Um, that's about putting on some bulk, that kind of stuff. But yeah, the truth is right now, if I had to bet money that Arch would end up playing significant time next year, um, and I'm not talking about garbage time at all with Texas with the lead. I'm talking about either starting a game or having to come into a game, you know, in the first three quarters, in the first, you know, three quarters or four quarters, why it is a competitive game. Mm-hmm. I'll say it, I, yeah, I'd put money, I'd put money on seeing Arch next year start or have to finish a game yeah. rather than um, Quinn, Quinn starting and finishing every game. Quinn's played two seasons at Texas and he hasn't made, made it through either one healthy. Exactly. So. so that's a bit. So, so the back of quarterback is big news. It is yeah. at Texas. It matters. It matters. Yeah. Yep. And that's something that I think goes undervalued. And I mean, it. The idea that the, the first year. I mean, Eli talked all about whenever he was at Ole Miss and how it was the luxury to get to redshirt, and they were hoping that Arch would be able to follow in the same steps because of the development aspect of it. But like everybody, they know it's a meritocracy. Whoever's the one who earns it, it gets to that point. But like, it's not as if. I guess, it, like you were saying, Rod, with the national media, and we've just seen so much success from young quarterbacks so early, and him being such a big name in recruit, they can't grasp around the idea that a guy like him would be content with developing instead of in the you know now society that we live in. But it's like, man, if you know anything about the Mannings, like they don't live by the now society that we live in. They actually understand the nuances and depth and intricacies that come with being a quarterback, which is probably why, like Jeff was alluding to, they chose to get him to go and learn underneath Sark, who is one of the more respected or maybe the most respected quarterback developers in the entire collegiate level. Cause a lot of places you don't have development actually at that position teams are needed to have players to step into play now. And that's just sort of where Texas is getting the luxury of having say one of the two perfect recruits in recording to like say 24 seven sports, Vince Young and Quinn Ewers. You have a guy like Quinn Ewers to be ahead of a guy like Arch Manning, who at one point had the same rating and finished so highly recruited. So going to be a better spot for Texas. Yeah. I, I mean, we only know, what gets said out in the public. So, you know, who knows what gets said behind the scenes, but anytime I've heard, and I haven't heard Peyton talk uh, maybe once or twice about arts. It seems like Eli's talked more about arts than Peyton has, but either one of them, whenever they talked about arts, they, they've said, you know, what advice have you given them? Both of them said, Hey man, just be patient. Just be patient. Enjoy, enjoy being a college kid. And I mean, honestly, I mean, from, from what I've heard, man, arts just kind of likes, just being being a student at Texas and, you know, everybody, he seems like a guy that everybody in the locker room is kind of cool with. I haven't heard of anybody having a problem with Arch Manning or Arch big time in anybody. Like, this just doesn't seem like the kind of guy that he is. Uh, and, and I think, too, more, you know, obviously if Sark wasn't a quarterback developer, like we wouldn't be having this conversation because Arch Manning would be at school somewhere else. But, I, you know, talk, talking to A.J. Milwee at the Sugar Bowl and talking to guys like Mike Roach who are really plugged into that recruitment, Sark and AJ Mill, we did a really good job. And yeah, you know, Arch does talk to his grandpa a lot. He talks to Archie a lot and gets advice from Archie. But Sark and AJ Mill, we they didn't really, you know, ask or demand or, or want to speak to to Archie or Peyton or Eli. They recruited Arch, they recruited Cooper, and they recruited uh, Cooper's wife, Arch's mom. Like they recruited the family. Like they didn't, 
They didn't, mm-hmm. yes, demanding name, but you know what I'm saying? Like they wanted to develop those interpersonal relationships to get those connections going. Whereas, you know, Rod, I know this will shock you. I know this will floor you. I heard that there was a, there during the evaluation period, uh, I guess he had just got, yeah, he had just gotten the OC job at Bama. Um, there was a spring where AJ Milwee, there was several schools, maybe LSU was out there, but Alabama was out watching arch throw, you know, AJ Milwee got to know the staff at, at, uh, at Newman really well, dude, I heard Bill O'Brien was out there. Somebody told me it was Bill O'Brien was out there. One of the days AJ Milley was there and it's like, Bill O'Brien could not have been less interested. I'm like, dude, you're seeing the number one quarterback in the country. Could you really act like wow. you want to do your job? Yeah. So that, <laughs> man, yeah, I don't know, man. That's, that's what, is that thinking about? Um, I think he's a candidate now for that Boston college job too, which yeah. is weird as yeah. he took the OC job and like, yeah, and don't uh, even know if he's going to call plays, but Ryan Day's not going to call plays. Oh, Bill O'Brien just seems to be getting a paycheck. Dude, it's there is I something I they real the the two trees that they need to study, like that I uh, really a psychologist needs to get after it, like the guys from the Urban Meyer tree and the guys from the Bill Belichick coaching tree, because those assistants, like <laughs> I, I don't I don't know like what goes through their minds, what kind of complex they develop when they go on to take other jobs but is there any of those guys rod that have been successful uh no the belichick coaching tree is just it's at the nfl level it's not successful Obviously, the dumpster fire the belichick no coaching. like brian yeah, I mean, flores they, they is like to, they, that's they all, about it they all tried to replicate his style instead of putting their own spin on it and the truth is now we know the truth the patriot way is mostly tom brady um, and Tom Brady's ability to, you know, motivate his guys. Um, I think there was a quote that one uh, anonymous Patriot had that, you know, um, we, uh, like you say, I think it was something like, uh, we played for Brady, um, but, you know, with Bill Belichick, I don't screw up the quote, so I don't want to get it. Um, mm-hmm. Basically, we played for Brady and not for Belichick. It's basically what yeah. they were trying to say. Like, Brady was our guy. He was a motivator. And give Belichick credit because Belichick understood how to motivate Brady. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Brady was the ultimate uh, field general. How do you motivate Brady? Well, keep drafting quarterbacks behind him. He does not like that. It freaks him out. Makes him insecure. <laughs> makes him stay at the makes him stay at the facility longer. Makes him get there, uh, you know, earlier. He, you know, he wants to make sure that he doesn't miss a rep. Remember Tom Brady famously, you know, like Peyton Manning, he, he doesn't give up reps in practice to the second string guys because I'm competing against yeah. him. Why the hell would I give him my reps? Right. It motivates him more. So give Belichick credit. At least he knew how to motivate Brady. And then Brady mm-hmm. pretty much was the key to the Patriot way. We know this because he won a damn Super Bowl his first season with another team, right? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I think ultimately you can study it, but that's on Belichick. Belichick doesn't share information. He's very secretive. Uh, that's not going to cultivate a great coaching tree. If you're secretive, you don't share information. You need to be sharing information so that those coaches can get better and build on your ideas. He didn't like, he didn't like to do that because he was – paranoid about people stealing his ideas and stealing his concepts and stealing the advantages he had. And he might've been right about that, but ultimately it hurts his legacy because his coaching tree oftentimes reflects negatively on him as a coach now, especially in the comparison of who's more important, him or Brady. Yeah. And Belichick's great. And I wanted to make this sound as if I don't think he is, but He's a great, he's like the best defensive mind maybe ever in the history of the sport. And that can't really be challenged from the 80s with the Giants through everywhere he's been and all the way through the Patriots. But it wasn't until Brady came around that the other side of the football was married with the great defense. And if you have a great defense, you understand what greatness is 
on offense and can facilitate those things and can build a really good team with that type of marriage. But like you said, Rod, once you had that, say, divorce of marriage, the offensive side of the ball has been a mighty struggle since then. It was a mighty struggle sort of prior to, because no, at no point in Belichick's brief head coaching career before Brady did he ever have any success on that side of the ball. But nobody's ever challenged that he's maybe the greatest defensive coordinator, defensive mind ever, and that can make you be a great head coach if you're able to marry what works on one side of the ball with what you do, because almost no coaches are just – great at everything across the board. He was great with special teams and defense. And if you have a Brady on the other side, that's able to help and you can help be able to give him all the weapons that he needs and let him have all the confidence in the world to do what he needs to do. You can become that dynasty that they became. Yeah. I was just looking at the urban Meyer tree and you know, the guys off of that tree either on field or whatever, those guys don't leave jobs with people saying a lot of positive things about them. Uh, Steve Adazio, DJ Durkin, Tom Herman, Dan Mullen. Like, yeah, you guys, you guys sensing a theme here with the, some of those yeah. these Urban Meyer assistants. Uh, you know, Char- Charlie's in that group, but I think Charlie's the opposite. Charlie didn't have on field success, but uh, great dude, just didn't yeah. didn't work out on the field. I mean, other other at Everett Withers, another guy that Rod, your former DBs coach, mm-hmm. talked to people in San Marcos how they feel about Everett Withers after his run at Texas State. Not a lot of all positive yeah. things to be said about Everett Withers. Mm-hmm. Man, other than Kyle Whittingham, dude, and you know maybe Luke Fickle, dude. This the Urban Meyer tree is another one that just. I've never thought of it even as a tree necessarily. It's just those couple names you said, those big branches, the Whittingham or the Fickle. Yeah, and it's it's one of those deals. Urban's tree is one of those deals because he never he never stays in one spot very long. So that tree is kind of eh, it's just it's almost like a like a rose bush, you know. Doesn't really have branches, just maybe some thorns popping out, which yeah. is there's an there analogy somewhere in there if you really want to dig into it, but I digress. <laughs> um but at any rate, uh, man, I don't even remember what we were talking about, how we got off on that that tangent. Oh, I mentioned oh, we the arch, and I brought up Bill O'Brien. <laughs> yeah. That's right. That's how we got there. But no, I, the arch thing, I, I, I'm just going to have to just kind of grit my teeth and, and fight through it, man. I, look, if you're a Texas fan, you know, you listen to Longhorn Blitz, you're at Horns 24-7, you're following the platforms the rod is on, you, you're going to be dialed into what's going on. Don't. Don't listen to the, if you listen to the national narratives, if you listen to anything, fine bomb might have to say about Arch Manning, which, Hey, Texas going to the sec. That's something you're going to have to wrap your head around now or anybody, <laughs> you know, the athletic that just kind of has a, a, over the, like just a peek around the corner view of Texas, just get your head right for it. You're going to have to listen to it. Just ignore it. You, you, you really know who to stay dialed into if you really want to know what's going on. Yeah. Of the national guys, I'll say, Pete Thamel seems to have a pretty good connection on representing it accurately so far from Texas. But yeah, I haven't really seen anything else nationally that comes from anyone else that I'm like, oh yeah, they feel like they have a decent beat or a good source. Well, I'll say this too, Rod, we've talked about this on this show. I don't know how much you've talked about it, Rod, on any of your platforms. It's really weird that like Sark has, Sark has gotten to this point. He's in, going into year four at Texas. I can't, I haven't heard of any writers locally or nationally that he's close with. But at the same time, it's not like he's been an abrasive a-hole. Like when I've, you know, when I get him at a clinic or something, or I need to talk to Sark, 
Sark's been great. Like he's never blown me off or, you know, yeah. like I said, been an a-hole or anything. It's just, it's really weird. Like his relationship with the media, I wouldn't describe it as it's, it's cordial. It's very business-like, you know? And yeah. like, uh, it's, it's not adversarial or anything. I don't know. Usually, usually going into this point in, in a Texas coach's tenure, and I'm talking about going back to Makovic or Mac Brown, certainly, you know, Charlie, Tom, whatever you've heard about something going on with some media member somewhere. I've yet knock on wood. I've yet to hear about any of that with Sark. It's kind of it's kind of refreshing that we're going into year four and it's like this. Well, I think there's a couple of things about, and I agree with you. A couple of things that make Sark different in that respect, at least from the coaches who have been here previously, uh, and even Mac himself. Uh, Sark doesn't, at least early on, he doesn't seem to hold grudges with the media. Now, that we know that he probably hears some of the stuff being said about him, sees some of the stuff that was being said about him in year one, that kind of stuff. But he's not a guy that holds grudges. He seems to understand like that's part of the job. Like, hey, yeah. we got a job to do too. Um, so that's number one because I haven't. He hadn't seemed like. Well, I say that, but then maybe he has. But I don't think he has. I don't think he. I think if he's a, if he's annoyed at a reporter or a question, I mean that's on the moment. But I don't think he's you know kind of held something against someone for something they've written or something they've said. Um, also, he's very authentic and open. Right, he. You know, Mac Brown was great. I loved me some Mac, but Mac would filibuster media availabilities. He would just. Oh, oh yeah. You wouldn't have to. You wouldn't have time to get a question in. And by the time you did, you were you were confused and you lost your train of thought. And you're like, you know, I don't even know what the hell Mac's talking about. And that's what that Mac would do it on purpose, right? Ray Mac was a brilliant politician in that respect. He didn't want to have to answer all those tough questions. Um, and then you had Tom Herman, who thought he was, you know, always kind of the smartest guy in the room. So he would kind of talk down to members of the media and kind of mm -hmm. talk down to the fans. And Charlie just wanted no part of it, right? Charlie just wanted no yeah. part of it at all. Charlie was like, no, I just want to coach ball. I don't even be here. And Longhorn, this is, I mean, he's talking about one of the biggest brands in all of sports internationally, period, the Texas brand. And football is the marquee program. People want to know. People want to know the state of the, the union, right? They want to know the yeah. state of the team. They want to know that he had a 45-minute uh, uh, signing day press conference, media availability, and they didn't sign any new damn players, really. Like, it was just... <laughs> It was just he was talking about everything, you know, his obsession with winning a championship and the offseason and the coaching changes because he, I think he understands coming from Alabama, guys, people take it seriously. Mm -hmm. And it, it, you actually, as a coach, can do them a, a great service, but also help yourself when you're just honest about information. Just give yeah. it to them. And I think sometimes he's almost too honest. We talked about that. I think he gives up too much information sometimes. Yeah. Um, but I, I think that's part of what makes him fun to cover. I enjoy covering Sark. Because yeah. he gives you, I used to not even pay attention, guys, to media availability. I'm not going to lie to you. Because it was oh, just coach yeah. speak. It was just coach speak over and over again. I mean, I ain't wasting my damn time 40 minutes of coach speak and not, not giving me any nuggets of true substance. But now with Sark, I got to admit, I go back and listen to Sark's whole damn thing. I put the AirPods mm -hmm. in and listen to the whole damn thing because he gives you so much information. You're going to miss some. Yeah. like, oh, damn, I, I missed that little nugget there. He, I, That's what I enjoy about his um his media availabilities he's very forthcoming he's very honest he doesn't talk down he doesn't hold grudges he kind of understands like you said he's very professional he's been in the nfl before he understands this is part of it they got a job yeah. to do i got a job to do too if i do my damn job they won't even have anything negative to write yeah. so i i think all of those things have led to I, us enjoying covering him like we've enjoyed because he gives you so much substance to cover i've never yeah, that's you know, a value my you know rod you're and I love I love Mac Brown to death, but yeah, there were some times where the Mac in front of the microphone, if Mac gave you an opinion, 
that might not really be what Mac thinks. And Matt, you know, Mac did hold grudges. Like if you wrote he something did. negative, like I know this, Mac would let you know. <laughs> right, <I'm laughs> talking to seriously, I know this, man. Yeah, trust me, coaches hold grudges. Yeah, um, you know, I've man, I you, I don't think you've been, I don't think you've covered Mac Brown unless you got called to the carpet at least once, right? Right. Uh, exactly. I've I've been I've been I I've been there, been there, done that. Uh, and Charlie Rod, I told you this, man. I, I don't know how close you got to to Charlie while he was here, Rod. But man, I I had a chance to have a couple just off the record chats with Charlie, and I'm like, man, if the general public got to know the Charlie Strong that I just chopped it up with for 45 minutes, he would be universally loved by this fan base. He's engaging. He's thoughtful. It's it's just I don't know, man. Some some people just get in front of that microphone and they see the pool of reporters and it's like it almost becomes deer in the headlights just like how can i get done with this as quick as possible so charlie was different and then with tom herman it was oh man it was i'd not say for the texas reporters specifically we saw a side of tom herman pretty early on that kind of gave us a clue of what we were going to get into and that largely proved to be the case so you know it's drama for another day but i don't like I said, I've never, I've not, I've yet to have a bad interaction with Sark. And I, I'll tell you this though, I think the guys that talk about being close with Sark, and I, I'm going a little inside baseball. I know we got to wrap it up in a minute, but like when you hear like a, a Joel Clatt, uh, maybe a Greg McElroy, uh, a Reese Davis, something like that. Like when they're like, yeah, I talked to Sark. Those are the guys that Sark leans on. Sark, you know, the TV guys, you know, the guys that Sark can can talk ball with because he can talk ball with Joe Clatt. He can talk ball with with Greg McElroy or whoever. I think it's mostly like those, you know, the TV guys that are. And I think part of that is because, you know, those guys have jobs to do for TV. So they're going to be in those meetings and be around the program. So uh, maybe that's reciprocated a little bit more. But, yeah, I don't I don't have an issue as of right now. Knock on wood. I've yet to have an issue covering Steve Sarkeesian. Yeah, now hopefully that continues to be the case. Like I said, I, I mean, I think after the first season, you know, I was about as harsh as anyone. Yeah. And, you know, I, like I said, I, I don't think, and I, I know there were other harsh opinions about Sark. Uh, Sark doesn't seem to to really mind those. I know and coaches have access to it and they see it. Trust me. Yeah. It's impossible. Trust me, guys. If you are a head coach almost anywhere, it's damn near impossible with the media coverage these days and for you to not see an opinion about yourself somewhere. Mm-hmm. You're going to see Oh, it. yeah. And then seeing one opinion about your and your coaching performance, it just makes you want to read more. That's why I say you don't look at any of them. Because yeah. it just makes you want to, if it's bad, you want to see if all of them are bad. If it's good, you want to say, hey, all of them are good. It's just human nature. Yeah. Um, so a, a, a coach, and, and, any, and I noticed I've talked to pro football NFL coaches. They, every now and then, they listen to what's being said about them. They just do. Whether it's for fun or whether they actually are interested and actually care about what people are saying, the fans are saying. They do, and I'm sure Sark also has to say he has come across an opinion of himself on social media, in the newspaper, whatever it may be, um, listening to it, whatever, and uh, he hasn't let that, you know, change his attitude about the tech, the Austin media. And Austin yeah, media no, can I mean, be, Austin media can be, can be pretty harsh, man. Austin media can be pretty harsh uh, because they love Texas football and they want to reflect the passion of the fan base, and I think they do that really well, but. Sark, I think Sark's really, I think Sark's taking a higher role with all of that kind of stuff. Yeah. 
Yep. And if you listen to some coaches though, too, like that he's all like you mentioned, you know, the value of actually hearing the information because he divulges good stuff. Sometimes you can hear almost answers to questions from the media within just him speaking about the team. It's like the way before the way Tom Herman would be abrasive. He would just literally be like, why would I do such things? You know, like he would just dismiss questions a guy like Sark is really into the why and explains the why that they do a lot of things because he understands it's not like how some coaches will hide behind, well, I don't want to give too much information to my opponents. Smart coaches know that other coaches pick up on those basic tendencies that are talked about just in mainstream media and things. Those aren't things that are going to be secrets that are trade secrets that you can't divulge. So that's why like you can actually pick up really good stuff on why he likes using these packages or these players in these situations. And those are the type of things where a lot of the younger coaches, like I know just from following and listening to so many NBA, you know, press conferences, coaches like Joe Mazzula of the, of the Celtics or the Thunders coach, Mark Dagonall. You can listen to that and just learn so much basketball because they're basketball nerds that love talking basketball and explaining the why of basketball. But there's also a whole level of coaches that just don't want to have to deal with everything. And it's sort of been what's been compiled from their communications over the years with the media and the media has changed over the years. So I don't know, you sort of just seeing these newer age of coaches, a lot more coaches that are more willing to have the discussions about the sports in those public spaces. Man, my, my favorite still, since I've been on this beat though, guys, my favorite still will Muschamp because you'd ask much, you know, I'm a I'm a football nerd. I'm a football nerd. I'm a foot Rod is I, I wouldn't call myself a football theorist, Rod, but uh but you'd ask Muschamp a question, like you ask him a uh, like a game plan question or a, uh, an X's and O's question. He ain't he ain't dumbing it down for anybody in the room. He's it's like he's on the whiteboard drawing it up. So I, I love Will Muschamp. And you know, uh, this is neither here nor there. You know, I, I really and Rod, I know he was a coach while you were a player. I those press conferences. That's where I really grew to respect Greg Davis. Like I respect yeah. Greg Davis. I'm not saying Greg Davis is a brilliant play caller or anything like that, but you know, for him to get so much crap and that 2010 season was not an easy season for him, but Greg Davis will go in there every Monday and thoughtfully answer every question. Even if, you know, the answer he gave was one that you're like, I don't know why the hell you said that publicly, but okay. Um, Greg, Greg Davis, Greg Davis was willing to face the music every Monday. So that's, you know, that's just my relationship with coaches. I'm going to view coaches very differently how fans view it because I've got a different perspective on it. But I really, really grew to respect Greg Davis uh, through those press conferences, especially in that 2010 season, man, where he could just be like, F it, I don't want to do it this week, but go in there every Monday, man, and face the music and take you through his thought process. Yeah, no, you're right about that. I And Heat, man, Loman fans were harsh on Greg with Greg Davis, so – um, yeah, man, I think that's to understand that's part of your job that the people want to know. They want information and they want yeah. good information. And right now, football fans are smarter than they've ever been. Mm-hmm. They're more knowledgeable about the game than ever been because of video games and because of the you know the analytical movement. And you no, know, there's obviously more West widespread coverage of football than ever before. It's the two most popular TV shows in America, basically, it's the NFL and then a few games of few games of college football. That's pretty much your most popular TV shows in America right now. And people want to know information about that. Fantasy football, people are smarter than ever about football. You can't, you know, I don't think you can talk down to people and you can't assume everything's over their heads. Um, you know, you got, you have to give them the respect of 
at least the acknowledgement that they have some idea of foundation of football knowledge these days. Because most people have a, who are football fans have a decent football knowledge. I've noticed that just talking to people about football now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and that's where I think like if Greg Davis was around right now as coordinator, he'd be way more respected as a guy that's a revolutionary mind bringing in things like the zone read for his skill set of his players and evolving from year to year to the roster to understanding you know the weaknesses and exploiting them. Say when you don't have as good offensive line, but you have good relationships between players. Like I think he would be much more valued these days than he was sort in the caveman infancy of football watching back in the day you know what i wish espn would do that what you know you guys remember when they did the coaches film room a couple times for the national championship game i wish they would do that and i I know it's impossible to ask active head coaches to do it but man if you just got retired coaches to do it like i think that would be something like like i thought man gary patterson was on there one year and I, i forget but man the the couple years that they let david cutcliffe do that a couple years in a row I, that was that was phenomenal stuff to hear a guy like David Cutcliffe who had seen a David Cutcliffe seen more football and forgotten more football than I'll ever know. Like just to hear him go through the thought process of coaches and break it down. And I I would think like get you some retired coordinators or retired coaches and have them do the coaches' film room. I would sure I would much rather watch the coaches' film room. No if does no disrespect to Pat McAfee, but I'd rather watch like David Cutcliffe and Greg Davis and whoever chopping it up rather than, you know, McAfee or whatever shenanigans he's got going on on the sideline during a national championship game. Yeah. No, I love stuff like that, man. It's just football porn basically. Yeah. Yeah, pretty yeah. much. No, I mean, it, I, I, the Manning cast isn't necessarily to that level because they do talk other stuff. But I make sure to watch the Manning cast over just a normal broadcast because, like, literally, they had Cutcliffe on for a quarter, where it's just Eli and it's Peyton and Cutcliffe. And they would always have, like, when Mahomes was on, they had Joe Burrow on to where, like, it isn't necessarily coaches, but it's at least players. And, like, when you have players angling on the sidelines, I, I prefer watching and getting that view because, I don't know, just the TV copy version isn't going to be going to the level of them talking about, like, oh, well, they're, they're playing cover three right here, Peyton. Or, like, when Eli's correcting Peyton on, nah, that wasn't the coverage. See, the robber came down here, and he went and hit it really fast and burned him for the touchdown. So, like, there are little hints of that in the Manning cast. It's just they also have a little bit of fluff and fun. I wish I wish my brothers and I could disagree over stuff like that rather than the stuff that normal everyday brothers disagree over. But I digress. <laughs> uh, but hey, I want to get this out real quick before we shut it down because uh, this will just we'll pick it up next week from here. But Rod Sark, I'll turn it over to you. Sark said that his two kind of biggest concerns right now heading into spring ball are the rapport with the wide receivers, so many new faces, a lot of inexperience at that position just from the returnees, the rapport between the quarterbacks and the wide receivers. And then he mentioned just finding the right mix in the secondary. If your power ranking concerns with this team, uh, are those the top two? Because for me, I still worry about interior defensive line depth. I know that's something that they won't have answers to until they get a look at some of these uh, younger guys in spring ball or going to the portal to get somebody after the spring. But if you're power ranking those concerns, is there anything in that group with finding the right secondary mix and wide receiver quarterback rapport? Um, no, I mean, that's actually pretty accurate because I think you got a lot of talent at wide receiver, but you don't want to have to go through the growing, pra- growing pains of developing chemistry and continuity 
uh, with your wide receivers in the season. So mm-hmm. as much of the, you know, the timing and the precision and just the preferences of your quarterback, preferences of the wide receivers, how they like, you know, football's thrown in certain routes, you get that comfort level. The sooner you can get that, the better that's going to come with reps. And obviously you won't have live reps, but you got to get as much of that seven on seven in as yeah. much of the kind of your pass game in as you can in the off season. That's up to Quint. That's going to be on Quint because Sark's only got a few, mm-hmm. he only got the spring hours or whatever. They a lot of time during the spring to practice with the team. And I'm sure you, there's a certain amount where you can meet with the players, but other than that, it's going to be on Quinn to put in, you know, double the amount of time in the off season with these guys, even that he had with the guys prior because he had kind of a natural chemistry with some of those guys because they had been developed at Texas a little bit together um, in the last two years. That's not going to be the case this year. Now he had great chemistry with AD Mitchell right off the bat. Hopefully that is the case. Um, and I'm sure that it was a lot of hard work in the off season that led to them having great chemistry together. So that's why it's a, it's a, it's an interesting, you know, it's an interesting conundrum because mm-hmm. I think it's, it's not, it's not to me, I don't think it's something that ultimately will be that detrimental because I, I trust Quinn to put in the work and I trust the wide receivers to put in the work in the offseason. So even though, yes, that is a big deal, that is something that can be remedied just by reps and work and just going through, you know, the, the route tree over and over and over and over and over again. I think Quinn can do that. If he doesn't, it will be a problem early on, but I think he will. Yeah. Uh, and I'm with you. Interior D-line is probably my biggest concern. And behind that is the secondary because, listen, the secondary hadn't been good since you've been here. Let's be honest, right? Secondary yeah. wasn't good last year, and that's why you played two elite quarterbacks. You lost to those two elite quarterbacks. Matter of fact, the last – over half of your losses the last two years have been against when you're playing an elite quarterback because either a secondary uh, can't hold up or, you know, they, they're, they're an elite quarterback, so they end up making enough plays in the end. Um, so it's not always a breakdown in the secondary. This year it was, but it wasn't always the case. But the truth is, you're going to play an elite quarterback once, twice, maybe three times a year. Mm-hmm. And you can't have, you know, your secondary be exposed when that happens. And that's what happened this year. You played Dylan Gabriel, played Michael Penix. That's your two losses because you played a really good quarterback. And I think the key to that is your secondary. Right now, they – it's crazy. I think they, they've they started now to recruit the second the, – the, recruit traits in the secondary that they could not coach before. And that is smart. I think they realized after trying to develop – every level of the defense. And they did it with guys they inherited, right? They mm-hmm. did it with you know, Jalen Ford and Sweat and Byron Murphy, all guys they inherited, and they found out they can coach up certain things. What you cannot coach, and they found this out, you can't coach coverage, you can't coach speed, and you can't coach really pass rush ability. Yeah. Those things you really can't coach. Guys just kind of really have it naturally. You got to recruit that. That's why they got five DBs in a recruiting class. They got six of them coming in, including Makuba. They realized we got to recruit certain traits. That's why it took them. That's why the secondary hasn't been a strength yet. The, the front seven was, the D line was. That's just talent development. They did a really good job of that. But talent development does have its limitations. And I think the limitation in the secondary is you need guys who can run, you need foot speed, and you need coverage ability. And trying to coach that and trying to teach that and develop that, man, that can lead to some growing pains that you may yeah. not recover from. 
Yep. And having that, you know, to be able to recruit to those skill sets and find those things that you need and then you're able to develop around it is so key. And that's why I sort of like this blend that you see them putting together in the wide receiver room, because, you know, we talked about like a guy like Cook who lined up outside like 82 percent of the time in his career or a guy like Moore who DeAndre Moore was a 93 percent slot on his few snaps here at Texas. But then you got a guy like Bond who came in and ran 59% slot, 41% out wide for Alabama, very similar to, say, a guy like Worthy that could succeed at both. But then you have other guys that are blends because, like, when you look at Matthew Golden, what he did when Tank Dell was at Houston in 2022, Tank Matthew Golden was out wide 96% of the time. He, he was averaging a 12-yard dot, 15 yards per reception. But what happened last year when Tank Dell wasn't there, he bumped down inside, played the slot 35% of the time. His dot dropped down to 8. His yards per reception dropped down to 10, but he was filling a role that was needed on the offense and showing that multiplicity where he can do both. Same thing with a guy like Silas Bolden. A lot of people would view him as if he were a slot because of his size, but his career, he's lined up outside 83% of the time. He has the best contested catch rate of all these guys that came in. He's the only one with a good one. He gets almost 50% of them. He's small, but he can go up and get a ball better than anybody. And that's probably why maybe also out of necessity, but even like last year it was 81% out wide. And that was where like people thought maybe when cook came in that he'd be a guy that would be more of a slot guy. Now he can do that, but he also can play out wide. So having these guys that can fit these multiplicity of roles really reminds me of the way he was using non-traditional bodies at Alabama to play outside whenever everybody would look at the you know size of these guys. Like, hey, they aren't that big. Are they your true outside receivers? It's like, well, in Sark's system, yeah, they can do that because we need speed that can win in space, that can go and beat zone coverage and get you the yak that you need, and they don't necessarily conform or fit or look like you would think they would look in the box of what you say a stereotypical receiver is. All right. I think that's as good a place as any. It's a good way to end it, Matt. Uh, good stuff there, and we'll end it there, and we'll pick it back up next week. Uh, Matt, thanks for everything, man. You're more than welcome. Rod, we appreciate the time and the knowledge. Anytime, brother. Anytime. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. For Matt, for Rod, for everybody at 24-7 Sports, the 24-7 Sports Podcast Network and the Horns 24-7 Podcast Feed where you can get Longhorn Blitz each and every week. Just search Horns 24-7. That's Horns 247, no dashes, slashes, or spaces. Anywhere you get your podcast, find the uh, Horns 24-7 Podcast Feed. Click that follow button. Get every episode of the Blitz when it drops. And thanks to Matt, get all of our archives. Our classic interviews and shows are available on the Longhorn Blitz SoundCloud page. Yep, just type in Longhorn Blitz. Jeremy Renner returns to Paramount Plus for a brand new season of the original hit series, Mayor of Kingstown. My job is to create a balance, avoid a war. 
From executive producer Taylor Sheridan, co-creator of Yellowstone. There's some new players in town, and they brought the flag. And Antoine Fuqua, director of Training Day. I know it's always been a war zone, Mike, but this is next level. The mayor is back in business. Are you warning me? You're going to find out. Mayor of Kingstown. New season streaming June 2nd, exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. For the Horns 24-7 family, for the Longhorn Blitz family, I'm Jeff Howe. Thank you so much for downloading and listening, and we will catch you again on the next episode. Now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. You ready, Bob? Well, all right. Audiences are raving. Bob Marley is electrifying. It's the feel-good movie of the year. You dig? Bob Marley, One Love. Rated PG-13. Now streaming on Paramount+. Plus.